Again, let me invite your attention to Matthew chapter 7. As we think about the broad road and the narrow road, many people ask, why would you preach a message on hell and heaven? And many people say, you know, in church life, if you preach on money or you preach on hell, it drives people away. Well, let me give you my heart today as I think about this message. And for those in the room and those who are online, where I preach this sermon series, here's why. One, I believe the Holy Spirit has led me to do so. And I always want to be obedient to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Another reason, in 1992, I stood before a group of men in a church who ordained me to the gospel ministry. And here was a commitment and a promise I made to the Lord, but also to them. Uh, I made a promise and a commitment to say, I will always preach the whole counsel of God, not just what's popular. And I want to be faithful to the Lord in that. And then another reason I would say is I'm just asking the Lord to give me a greater burden for people who need Jesus in life. I want to see people and make sure they hear the gospel. I want to make sure they turn from their sin and put their trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. And they would have the assurance of salvation and forgiveness and grace in life. And I just want a greater burden for sharing the gospel and seeing people get right with the Lord Jesus Christ in life. James McDonald and Alistair Begg, two pastors, were talking one day at Moody Church in Chicago. James McDonald made a statement and he said to Begg, people are in hell today. And Alistair Begg made a statement but also asked a follow-up question. And he said to McDonald, your statement is very true, but I ask you this question. Can you make that statement without a tear in your eye? As you and I think about Matthew 7... As we think about destructions, we think about life. Can you and I think about eternity, even eternal torment, without a tear in our eye for people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ? I want to encourage you to look at your outline here for a second. Why is today's message important and urgent? I'm going to give you, fill in these blanks here because I want you to see this. Number one, the Bible describes hell as a place. As you and I understand that statement, it's not make-believe, it's real. And Jesus is going to talk about that, and we will see that today. Number two, the message of the gospel is urgent. As you and I think about the message of the gospel, life is uncertain. Life is fragile. You and I are not guaranteed the rest of this day. That's why the message of the gospel is urgent. We need to seize every opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people. And it calls for a decision as well. Number three, hell is an eternal place of suffering and separation. As you and I think about what it's like to spend eternity apart from Christ, suffering is involved in that, but separation from apart from Christ for all eternity is included in that. And then number four, people don't have to die and spend eternity in hell. That's why we gather today. That's why we share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why the message is going out online, literally to nations around the world, because you don't have to die and spend eternity separated from Christ in eternal torment. That is the amazing grace of God to you. He's given you another opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus and for you to surrender your life to him, to turn from your sin and trust Jesus to be your Savior. That's the grace of God. I want to read something to you, and this is a serious matter, there's no doubt. Ted Turner, media mogul, one time was doing a speech to the National Press Club. 
And I just want to read to you some of his comments there. And here's what Ted Turner said, and I quote. He said, heaven is going to be a mighty slender place. And most of the people I know in life aren't going to be there. There are a few notable exceptions, and I'll miss them. And then there was laughter in the room. And he said, remember, heaven is going to be perfect, and I don't really want to be there. Those of us who go to hell, which will be most of us in this room, and most journalists are certainly going there, laughter in the room again. But then he said, but when we get to hell, we'll have a chance to make things better because hell is supposed to be a mess. And heaven is perfect. Who wants to go to a place that's perfect? Boring, boring. And then there was laughter in the room again. As I think about that statement from Ted Turner, I would say this, that the road is broad that leads to destruction. The Bible does say that. Jesus says that. We also understand from God's word that heaven is going to be perfect. Isn't that a great celebration? But I would disagree with Ted Turner in this regard. In no way is heaven going to be boring. And you say, why is that the case? Well, worship is going to happen in heaven. And you and I, when we praise God in purity, that is not going to be boring. And in heaven, we're going to be reuniting with believing loved ones and saints throughout the ages. In no way is that going to be boring for you and me. And then in Revelation 22, the Bible says, for those who are going to be in heaven, we're going to see Jesus Christ face to face. And so let me just say again, when you think about worship and being reunited with believing loved ones and saints throughout the ages, and then just even the thought of seeing Jesus Christ face to face, friends, heaven in no way is going to be boring. We're going to celebrate for all eternity. But as you and I think about this message and we think about the afterlife and what happens on the hereafter, there are some unbiblical words that are used out there in our day that you need to know about. Many of you as students, you're going to come across these. One of those being reincarnation. Uh, Reincarnation is the belief that we've lived previous lives and, and based on how we live, when we die, we're going to come back in another life form. If you lived a good life, you'll come back in a higher life form. If you lived a bad life, you could come back as a roach or a snake. But please understand, reincarnation is not in God's Word. There's another word, it's annihilation. That's a big word also, but it just seems to mean, it says what it means, that when when we die, there's nothing else beyond death. And so what they say is, because there's nothing else after death, you need to live and have all the fun you can get in this life now. But please understand, that is not consistent with God's Word. And then there's another word that is used in our day. It's the word universalism. And what that word just simply means, everyone goes to heaven. No one goes to torment. Everyone goes to heaven. But please understand, based on the teachings of Jesus from Matthew 7, that is not consistent with God's word either. Everyone does not go to heaven. Those who turn from their sin, put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are the ones who go to heaven. But if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ and you die, you'll spend eternity in eternal torment separated from him. Have you ever been to a funeral where someone preached that funeral and the person who was deceased said, the person who was preaching said the person went to hell? We don't hear that much in our day. I had a, had a, a pastor friend of mine. His father-in-law passed away, his wife's father. 
And he asked us to pray for him one day and said, we're going to be standing at the head of the casket. Again, her father, his father-in-law. And we're going to stand at the head of the casket and say to people who pass by, we want to use this as an evangelistic opportunity that her dad and my father-in-law is spending eternity in hell today. Why? Because he lived his life and rejected the Lord Jesus Christ in every way possible. We don't hear that much in our day. But as you and I think about what the Bible says, again, what does the Bible say about eternal torment? And so let me give you some insight here. Look at number one, the reality of hell. You know, what is hell? The Bible says here in this text, it says, but enter by the narrow gate, but the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. There's a word there about eternal torment. And those who enter it are many. Now, as you think about that, hell is eternal torment, separation from Christ. Now, when you look at the Bible, there are many words that are used in relationship to hell. You're going to see one is Hades. And as you think about that word, it's used 10 times in the Gospels. And, And there's another word that we use, and we understand that's the word hell. It's used 14 times in the New Testament. There's other words like second death that is used again. You, 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 you're born twice, you die once. You're born once, you die twice. What does that mean? When you're born again, you're only going to die once. Yes. And so second death, but there's also the lake of fire. What does that mean? There's going to be torment in hell. You will suffer for the rest of your life and for all eternity in a place separated from Christ. I want to give you these verses as well. And we're not going to have time to turn to all of these. But I want you to pay attention to these because you can go back and read them in your devotional life. Matthew chapter 5, you're going to read about torment. Matthew chapter 7, we see that here in in verses 13 and 14. Matthew chapter 10, we're going to see Jesus talking about that. Matthew chapter 25, we're going to see references again to eternal torment. And then I would encourage you sometime in Luke chapter 16, read what this cry from torment in Luke chapter 16. And I've read it again this morning in my own devotional life. Just want to make sure again, this cry from torment... Somebody who is in torment, desiring to see the Lord do a work. And what does that mean? So I've given you some words here. I want you to write down as you think about this idea of hell, eternal torment. Number one is place. Again, this is a, a real place. It's not, it's not make-believe. This is a real place. Number two is awareness. As you read Luke chapter 16, you're going to see there was an awareness of what was going on. It was not annihilation. You die and there's nothing else. You are fully aware in torment. Word number three is suffering. You look in Luke chapter 16, you see incredible suffering. Lord, if you'll just give a drop of water to touch the tip of my tongue, then it will relieve some of this pain and suffering I'm experiencing. Word word number four is eternal. It never ends. It's not like you can escape. You see that in Luke's gospel chapter 16. When you are there, you die outside of Christ. You spend eternity in torment. It is forever. It is eternal. And then number five is concern. You see in Luke chapter 16, there's concern to say, I've got five brothers. Would you send someone to them and warn them so that they would not come here as well? There is going to be concern in eternal torment. And as you and I think about that one, just understand the reality of hell. It is a real place. Number two is the road to hell. George Barna is a researcher and Barna comes along and And Barna talks about, again, one of the research that he did was on eternal torment, on hell. And here's what Barna said. Barna said, of all the people who who believe hell is a real place, only one half percent to one percent believe that they are going there. 
And that's an interesting thought. You look at this text again in Matthew 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. So, so it says there, the, the way is wide. There are going to be many people who are going to be there. Why? That's exactly what Jesus was teaching. There is a road to hell. Now, here's what I want you to look at number one on your outline. What causes the road to be heavily populated? Jesus said there are going to be many people on this road. It's wide, it's broad. But what causes the road to be heavily populated? I want to give you some thoughts on this. Again, not on your outline, but I want you to understand why is this the case? Number one is silent churches. I believe the road is heavily populated because churches are silent about the gospel. There's a lack of gospel-centered preaching. There's a lack of personal evangelism by those who are members of the church. And there's just no brokenness over people who are outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to be preaching the gospel. We need to be evangelizing people. And, but also, we need a brokenness from Almighty God for people who do not know Jesus Christ. William Booth, who was the founder of of the Salvation Army, William Booth made a statement one time that I read. He said, if I was God, here's what I would do. And if I had authority, I wouldn't send you students to school. He said, if I was you, and he was in an educational situation when he said that, I would send you to hell for five minutes. And Booth said, if you were in hell for five minutes, then you would come back and you would be on doorsteps pleading with people to give their lives to Jesus Christ. Well, I just want to say I disagree with William Booth. He said, well, what do you disagree about? Understand, here's what I disagree. I don't believe it would take five minutes at all. I think five seconds would do it. If you and I just spent five seconds in eternal torment, we would be pleading with people to give their lives to Christ. Turn from your sin and give your life to Jesus. But, but hell is heavenly populated. Why? Silent churches. We need to be preaching and teaching the gospel. And sharing the gospel. Uh, an, another reason I would say is ungodly professors. That there are many people who sit in colleges and universities under the leadership of professors. And here's what's happening. They're denying the authority of God's word. They're saying that hell is not a real place. But they're also saying there are many roads in life to heaven. You just pick one, it'll lead there somewhere. I've sat under many of those professors and, and is leading the road to be heavily populated. Let me give you number three, secular media. As you and I think about the media climate in which we live, again, if you find yourself in a media situation on television or whatever, and you talk about Jesus, you talk about believing the Bible, you talk about being born again, knowing Christ, assurance that you're going to go to heaven, it is not uncommon in our day that they're going to label you as weird, abnormal, and intolerant. But then you look at media today, secular media, and they feature the freak of the week on television, and he or she is normal and entertaining. That's the culture in which we live. So as you and I think about silent churches, ungodly professors, secular media, the road is heavily populated. And that's why this morning and today is so critical that we preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at number two. What does Satan not want people to know? There are some things. You have to understand his nature. He's a liar. You have to understand his nature. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's like a roaring lion seeking someone whom he can devour. So what does he not want you and me to know? Here's here's some some thoughts I would give you. One, just in the area of alcohol. 
He doesn't want you to know the consequences of alcohol. You watch beer commercials and other alcohol things. They're not going to show you the consequences to that. They're going to show you that everyone who's at a party drinking beer, alcohol, they're having the best time of their lives. They're not going to show you the pain, the loss, and the brokenness associated with that. You think about affairs in life. And you see those in secular media. They're not going to show you the pain, the brokenness, the embarrassment of being unfaithful to the person you committed your life to. They're not going to show you those consequences. He doesn't want you to know the consequences of living unfaithful to your spouse. And then as you and I think about this idea of hell, he does not want you to know that the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. He does not want you to know that. So there are many things he does not want you and me to know. And he doesn't want you to know that if you live your life and you die and you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity in a place of eternal torment. He does not want you to know that. So there's the reality of hell. There's a highway, a road to hell. And there is a highway to hell, and it's not just a rock song. It's true from God's word. Number three, the rescue from hell. And I want to spend a little time here because as you look at this verse again, Matthew 7, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, the way is easy, it leads to destruction. And so Jesus says there in the beginning, enter by the narrow gate. And we'll talk about what that means. And then he goes on to say, those who enter it by are many in the way to destruction. Then verse 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Look over in John chapter 10 just for a moment. In John's gospel chapter 10, we find Jesus making this statement, talking about either the gate or the door. He just says this. He says, I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Please understand what Jesus is saying. You don't have to die and spend eternity separated from him. He says, enter by the gate or enter by the door. I am the door. If you'll enter through me, I will give you life. You'll find pasture. What does that mean? There is only one way to go to heaven, and that is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. It is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something about his name. It's the name of Jesus. And so as you and I think about that, you're not going to go to heaven by good works or by giving money or doing religious deeds. You're going to go to heaven because you hear the gospel, you turn from your sin, you trust Jesus Christ to be your Savior. He forgives you, gives you the assurance of heaven, and you will celebrate with him forever and forever and forever. That is the rescue from eternal torment. Now, over the next few minutes, I want you to look at your outline with me because I want to ask you these few questions here. Number one, are you confident that you're on the right road? As you're in this room today, are you confident that you're on the right road? As you're watching online, are you confident that you're on the right road? Listen, there are many things you and I can be wrong about in life, and at the end of the day, it doesn't make that much difference. See, see, it doesn't matter if the cats or the vols are going to be good or not at the end of the day. It doesn't really matter. But understand that if you miss being on the right road, those consequences are for all eternity. It matters. 
And here's what I know. Sometimes you look at this picture you'll see on there, on, on the outline or on the board there, you'll see this. Sometimes you're driving down the interstate and you, you need to make a U-turn. You missed your exit. You need to make a U-turn. But you'll see these signs that say no U-turn. It's against the law. If they see you doing that, they could give you a ticket. There's a, a penalty involved in that. Well, I've got good news today. Almighty God, by the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, he welcomes you and me to make U-turns in life. You can be on the wrong road. He's inviting you to make a U-turn, change the direction of your life, and get on the right road. That is called repentance. He wants you and me to turn from our sin, turn around, and get right with him and get on the right road. You can live confident you are on the right road today, not the wrong road. And so kids and students and adults and those who are watching online, make sure you're on the right road today that leads to Jesus in life. Amen. I want to ask you again in this room and those who are watching, are you confident that you are on the right road? And if you're confident, then there's been a time in your life that you have trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Question number two, when was the last time you thanked the Lord for grace, forgiveness, and salvation? In this worship gathering, those in the room, those who are watching, when's the last time you just paused in your life and you thanked Jesus for grace, unmerited favor? You didn't deserve it. You couldn't earn it. But he blessed you with amazing grace in your life. When's the last time you thanked him for amazing grace in your life? When's the last time you thanked him for forgiveness that your sins have been cast from the east of the... He has forgiven you in Jesus. When's the last time you have just thanked him and thanked him and thanked him? Thank you, almighty God, for forgiveness in my life. I am clean before you. Then when's the last time you thanked him for your salvation? I was a young boy sitting on our basement steps, turned from my sin, trusted Jesus Christ. I need to come back to him again and again and again and said, Lord, as a young boy that day sitting on those basement steps, thank you for the Holy Spirit's conviction. Thank you for the truth of the gospel. Thank you I heard the word of God preached again and again. And thank you that your grace and your forgiveness changed my life. And I am saved today. Thank God for his salvation. I just encourage you today in the room, those watching, you may want to hit your knees on your face or you just may want to stand, lift your hands before him, but just say, Almighty God, thank you today for grace, forgiveness, and salvation. I'll never be on the broad road. I am saved and secure in you. Number three, do you have a burden for people traveling on the wrong road? I want to ask you today, can you name one person that you know right now from what you understand in his or her life that if life ended the day for this person, he or she would be on the wrong road? Doesn't know Christ. And I want to ask you, do you have a burden for that person? Are you praying for that person by name? Are you shedding tears for that person to come to hear the gospel? Are you seeking to share the gospel with this person who's traveling on the wrong road? Again, the good news, he allows U-turns. He wants that person to be right with him. That's why Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and died on a cross and victorious over the grave. He wants that person to know him. But, but do you have a burden for people who are traveling on the wrong road? 
And then I want to ask you this, as you think about that statement, that question, when you think about your family members or people whom are your friends in life, do you know where they're going to spend eternity at? Do you know that? I can't even begin to tell you how many funerals I've preached in my life and ministry. And many of those funerals were for people that I never got the opportunity to meet. And so in certain areas of the country, somebody needed a pastor and a funeral home director called and said, would you be willing to preach this person's funeral? They need somebody who will step in. And I saw that as an opportunity to be pastoral and to love a hurting and grieving family, but also as an opportunity to communicate the gospel to those family members and friends who are still living. And so I'd walk into a funeral home and I'd be there. 30 minutes early and I'd meet with the immediate family and here's oftentimes in those situations what I would do I'd walk into a private room meet with family members and I would just say tell me about your loved one tell me some things about his or her life and they would do that they'd say you know she was a great cook he was a hard hard worker he or she loved the University of Kentucky the University of Tennessee whoever it may be loved everything about sports and they could go on and on about that And then I'd come to this question, well, I appreciate you saying those things, but what about the person's relationship to Jesus Christ? What about his or her involvement in the fellowship of God's church? And family member after family, here's what they would say to me again and again, predictable almost every single time. Well, preacher, great cook, hard, hard worker, sun up to sundown. Love sports and love the teams, whatever, but I don't really know anything about his or her involvement in church. And I don't have any understanding of his or her relationship with Jesus at all. None. I just challenge you today. As you think about the hereafter, life is uncertain and life is short i just challenge you make sure you have personal conversations with people in your family friends your relational network know where people are spiritually on this side anytime when we lived in glasgow kentucky we lived on cardinal court and back in those days you had a paper boy and they would bring your paper to your doorstep. They'd throw it on the doorstep. And then once a month, they would knock on the door. And you'd open the door and say, it's time that time of the month. Could you pay me for the papers? They had a paper route. They made money doing that. So one day, again, we would pay the paper boy. And he'd go on his way. And, and so one day, it was a wintry day. And, and knock came to the door, opened the door. It was our paper boy, young boy. Lived on the street, on the other street across in our neighborhood. And he said, it's that time of the month, looking to get paid. And I, because it was cold and Angie was going to get the money, I invited him to come in and stand in our den. And I can still see him standing in our den right now. And so I'm talking to him about school and about life. And he lived on the street across from us and all those things like that. Talked about his friends. And then I talked to him about school and how was he doing in school. Did he like school, hate school, whatever it may have been. And then I started talking to him about going to church. And he had some friends who were going to a church. He'd been going with them some. And then I made the transition to talk to him about his relationship with Jesus Christ. And this young paper boy made a statement to me. He said that there was a period in his life, and he was very specific about it, that he turned from his sin and he trusted Jesus to be a Savior. He talked very clearly about a salvation experience. 
And so we celebrated with him, encouraged him to do well in school, be faithful to his friends, and, and, and walk faithful to Jesus. And so we paid him his money, and he went on his way. About two weeks later, on a Wednesday in church, had a couple come up to me, and they were talking to me about a young boy in our neighborhood who had suddenly collapsed and died. And so I asked a few more questions, and come to find out, I said, it sounds like you're talking about our paper boy. Well, lo and behold, that was true. It was him. Two weeks later, I had a gospel conversation with him standing in our den. Two weeks after that, he collapsed and died as a young boy. And then the couple whom I was talking to in our church, I went on to tell them about my opportunity in the den two weeks ago of having a spiritual conversation with him about his relationship with Jesus. And then that afternoon, I get a phone call from this couple I just talked to and said, we are at the funeral home with his mom and dad. Would you be willing to come to the funeral home and meet them and tell them the story you told us earlier today? I said, absolutely I would. And so I go to A.F. Crow and Son Funeral Home in Glasgow, Kentucky. And I walk up to the head of his casket. Two weeks earlier, we'd stood in our den having a conversation about school and friends and church and knowing Jesus. Two weeks later, I'm standing at the head of his casket, talking to his mom and dad, tears flowing down their faces, grieving like you can only imagine. And I talked to them about my conversation with him in the den about his story of knowing Jesus Christ in his life. And folks, I can't begin to tell you the spiritual relief that came over that mom and dad standing at the head of his casket. Did they continue to grieve? Absolutely. But they had never heard that story of him giving his life to Jesus. I just want to encourage you. In this service, those who are in the room and those who are watching, you need to share with somebody your relationship with Jesus. Life is fragile and uncertain. You don't know when it's going to end. But you need to be able to say to people, Jesus has changed my life. And you need to have the courage, just like I need to have the courage, to be able to say to someone, tell me about your story. Have you given your life to Christ? Have you not given your life to Christ? What's holding you up? What are the barriers? What do we need to talk about? How can I pray for you? Just a burden for people who need a relationship with Jesus. Make sure they are on the right road in life. That's the heart of Matthew 7. Why do I preach this sermon series? I want to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. I communicated in 1992 I would be faithful to God's word, not just what's popular. And I need a greater burden for people who need Jesus in life. And that starts in this service right now. And so I just want to appeal to you in this room and those who are watching. And I want to encourage you to bow your heads with me here for a moment. And if you're in this room, I'm going to appeal to you and I'm going to make a courageous ask that if you're in this room and you don't know that you're on the right road, our pastoral staff is going to be right here in front. I just pray for you and appeal to you that you will step out from where you're seated and where you're going to stand and you will walk forward and you will say, I just don't know I'm on the right road. I need to give my life to Jesus and I need to ask him for grace, forgiveness, and salvation. 
and that you'd be willing to do that very thing right here in just a moment. You need to be baptized. You need to join the fellowship of the church. He's moving in your life in some other way. We want you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ right now. And those who are worshiping with us and watching online, we encourage you to comment to us. We encourage you to respond to the email address you see on the screen. We would love to help you no matter what country you're in, what state you're in. You're right here in our city. We want to help you be on the right road today as well. You comment to us. We would love to contact you and make sure that you know Jesus in your life. Folks, you're not going to be on the right road because you've done some good works or you've given money today or you've done some religious things. You're going to be on the right road today because Jesus left heaven and came to this earth, lived a perfect, sinless life, died on an old rugged cross, buried in a tomb, raised on the third day. The tomb is empty. Jesus Christ is alive. And heaven is shouting, Jesus has paid it all for you and for me. Receive his gift. Receive his grace. Let him change your life today. I just encourage you, don't procrastinate. Don't hesitate. Don't don't care about what somebody's going to think or say about you. We're going to celebrate with you. If you walk forward and give your life to Jesus, heaven is going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate as well. But we want you to surrender your life to Jesus today. But we just encourage you because Jesus paid it all. You surrender all to him today. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving your life for us. And Father, I thank you for grace, forgiveness, and salvation. And I pray right now, Lord Jesus, in this room and those who are watching online, that we will see multiple, multiple salvation decisions for your glory because Jesus is still changing the lives of people. Help people get on the right road today, I pray. Make a U-turn. Let them experience grace, forgiveness, and salvation. And the praise and the honor will go to you. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are saving people today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said... Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.